things that I like spend a lot of like time doing is like I think like pushing back on the idea that like the only relationship in my life that matters is my boyfriend of 14 years that I have sex with. And that like my best friend of 16 years who I don't have sex with is also just as important. And these friendships that are somewhere between, you know, friend and lover are also important, even if they're not 14 years long. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult the medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Welcome to episode 277. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have an amazing interview with Brian. Brian is cis, queer, and poly, has been in a relationship for 14 years that's been open most of that time, and we have a fantastic conversation about his journey. Yeah, we have a bunch of amazing different conversations within this conversation. It's like a Russian nesting doll of conversations. Ooh, that's a good analogy. Right? (laughs) So we talk about hierarchy, communication, rules and constraints, labels, fluidity of relationships, the intersection of religion and spirituality along with non-monogamy, as well as the value of bloopers. Oh, yeah. So there's some bloopers here. There's, yes. And there's just a lot of fun. And I think one of the things that's amazing about Brian is the way he weaves a learning experience into pretty much, or a learning opportunity into just about every experience that he has. Yes. Brian also does amazing work. He is an activist, educator, and certified relationship coach. He's also the co-founder of QueerTheology.com, which is a resource hub podcast and online community exploring how queerness and spirituality enrich one another. You're going to definitely want to check out his work. Is that all you do, Brian? Yeah, a That's lot, all you right, do? Right, <laughs> Yeah, please go check out and support Brian's work. And just a huge thank you to Brian for coming on the podcast and for sharing everything you do today. One last quick programming note. Uh, Towards the end of this, you might pick up a little background noise. They were literally tearing half of the building off of Brian's building. Oh, yeah. And our apartment was doing a bunch of renovations at the same time. So we were picking up surround construction noise. But it's... It was like in the background. F- it was like 7.1 Dolby Digital <laughs> construction. But we got most of it. I got most of it out with editing, but there are a few hammers, maybe a couple of saws. You'll you'll be fine. You'll be fine, but we just wanted to acknowledge it. Yes. Okay. For everyone who is a premium subscriber, we're going to jump right into the interview now. And for everyone else, well, we've got some fun announcements. Yep. Extra fun today. I sprinkled some fun dust on them. Always fun. So first of all, the premium subscription, that is a way you get to skip all of the fun dust here at the beginning. (laughs) You get to jump right into the interview with Brian or whoever, and that is just a couple of bucks a year or actually any price you want. It could be $2,000 a year if you wanted or just $2 a year. It's a way to support the show too, in case you haven't figured that out. Yes, monetarily. It's also good for our morale. Anyway, to sign up, you scroll down to the bottom of the homepage at normalizingonmonogamy.com, and there are links there, and you will figure it out, we promise. 
Next up, we will be attending and presenting a workshop at Southwest Love Fest. It is April 14th through the 16th in Tucson, Arizona. We are really excited about this event. You can sign up to join us by using the links in the show notes and using the offer code Emma for 10% off. And that helps support the show financially. So again, thank you for doing that. And we hope to see you there. We're hoping that there's like half a million of you. <laughs> and then we're going to throw a big hella party. Yeah. Also, just a quick note. They also have they have online tickets available too, virtual tickets. So it's not obviously the same as being there in person. But if you can't make it to Tucson, you can still participate if you get a virtual ticket. Absolutely. And if you do want to learn more about Southwest Love Fest, again, you can head to their website or you can listen to last week's episode with Sarah or a few weeks back. Uh, we did an interview with Kate, who are both the co-founders of Southwest Love Fest. Yes. We highly recommend it. Yes. Next up, we just wanted to say a huge thank you to our community members. Thank you. Yes, thank you. There is a ton of you, and we love the community. If you're out there looking for community, you're looking for like-minded people, maybe you're feeling a little bit alone on this journey, or you just want some more information, we have a virtual community, which hangs out all day, every day on our own private app. And we do monthly Q&A calls, video Q&A calls with people from around the world. Plus, we have monthly men's groups and women's groups calls. And we have a weekly men's group that meets every Tuesday morning. And it's amazing. To find out more, go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the community tab. All of the info's there. And as Finn said, it is amazing. We are a little biased, but it is amazing. Come check it out for yourself. Also, check out Brian's community. Yes. He has a community too. Again, his website, queertheology.com. Also yeah. in the podcast show notes. We're just pro-community. Uh, yeah. We're pan-community. <laughs> did you just coin a new term? I don't think so. <laughs> I hope not. Maybe I did. Anyway, we also... Somebody oh. make the Wikipedia page for me. <laughs> well, just wait. Just wait. Some, it'll happen. Next up, we have a, another a virtual meet and greet coming up on March 10th. That's a Friday night. We would love to have you join us. We just did one of these last week, and it was amazing. We had 50 or so people and a lot of really fun conversation. It's a great opportunity that's low pressure to meet like-minded people and just hang out for the night. It's a great way to find community without the huge commitment that is our virtual community. Maybe <laughs> you're, maybe you're a committophobe. <laughs> so check it out. Yes. And last up, of course, we couldn't go a day without telling you about our favorite way to get tested for STIs. STDcheck.com. In case you can't hear at that speed, STDcheck.com. <laughs> Did I really say it that fast? I don't know. Maybe. Either it, way. It would be really fast if someone's listening to us on like two times speed. Yeah, those people just skip past this part. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, stdcheck.com. That's our favorite way to get tested for STIs. It is fast. It is easy. And $129 when you use the links in the podcast show notes to save yourself $10. It's only $129 for a 10-panel test. Yes. We cannot recommend this service enough. This is the way Emma and I get tested regularly. And we love it. We've used it for years. And just go check it out. All of the people who are using it, they can't be wrong. All of the amazing feedback, they can't be wrong. Right? Right? Yes, I hope so. I hope so. Anyway. To find those links. Go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the resources tab or in any of the podcast show notes in your podcast player. Pretty much anywhere you find us, you'll find links for stdcheck.com because that's how important your sexual health is to us and to the entire community. And how amazing we think the resource is. Exactly. And also, please, uh -oh. what are we say, gonna, please I know, reach please. out to us. 
please contact us. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a voicemail, send us an email. If you want to be a guest on the podcast or if you just want to say hi or if you have some comments or questions for us, we'd love to hear from you. You can also find us on the Instagram. You can. We haven't talked about that in a while. NNM podcast. We, we just pushed over 3,000 followers. Woohoo. Woohoo. That's pretty, yeah, that's awesome. If it just would, took us five years to get there. It just took us five years <laughs> to get there. No problem. That one post a week strategy is really paying off. <laughs> We're getting there. We're it's, getting there. We call it sustainable growth. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. We didn't want to burn out. <laughs> but we do have some fun posts over there. So go check it out. And now let's go talk to Brian. Welcome to the podcast, Brian. We're so excited to talk with you more, learn more about you. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited to, to be here and to talk about this stuff with y'all. Yeah. We, we would love for you to, don't mean to cut you off. <laughs> we, we would love for you to start with uh, just introducing yourself at whatever level you're comfortable with. Sure. I am Brian G. Murphy. Uh, I am cis and queer and polyamorous. He, him, his pronouns are great for me. Also, they, them, theirs work as well. Um, I live in Los Angeles, but sort of consider myself a New Yorker at heart because I spent my first like 11 years after college there. And so um, I'm sort of like always wearing black and um, I don't know, just sort of like feel like a New Yorker on the East, on the West Coast. So that's fun. I've been with my partner for 14 years now. And in some ways, our friends tease us because we're like the sort of most, I don't know, like radical, untraditional relationship in our friend group. We're like, you know, super open and polyamorous. And we like talk about it and it's not like, you know, secretive or anything like that. And we've had other loves and other other partners along the way, but also we've been together since we were 23. <laughs> and so like in some ways it's actually like quite normy and old fashioned. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah. And I've, I remember when I was first starting to figure out like maybe I would be interested in an open relationship or in polyamory. I was looking for resources and um, there weren't much like for queer men. Yeah. Um, it just sort of like everyone sort of like, sort of assumed that, we already knew how to be sluts, which was like, I guess, kind of nice, but also kind of like, <laughs> but like I, I'm not sure this is a compliment or a dig. Um, yeah, yeah, and yeah. so, so as I did a lot of translating of resources over the years, and so have since then spent a lot of time trying to help other queer folks and in particular queer men have like access and feel included in the conversations around ethical non-monogamy as well. So that's, I guess, like sort of me. I love it. I love it. I think that's a great point that just because maybe just because we're doing something doesn't mean we know how to do it well. And so (laughs) I think that's an important distinction. So yeah, we know how to slut it up out there, but uh, is it feeling good to anybody other than me at the moment? So yeah. Yeah. The bottom line, we're all human. We're all human. Yes. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) So maybe, I don't know, going back in time, where did you've been together with this partner, your partner for since you were 23 yeah 14 years 14 years right at what point did non-monogamy or polyamory come into the picture for the two of you yeah we probably started talking about it a little over a year into our relationship and then took like eight or nine months to read books, think about it, talk about it, put off talking about it. (laughs) Um, like eventually decide to sort of like give it a try. Um, and ever since then we've been sort of rocking and rolling with it. I, I will say that, you know, I do know some people who are like, I only have eyes for my partner. You're my one and only like everyone else is like, no one else is attractive. And we were like, that's not real. (laughs) (laughs) Even out of the gate. 
yeah, exactly. Like I love you and we're monogamous and we're committing to each other. But like, I don't feel like I have to pretend that I can't tell that that guy is hot. And actually I feel like when we were monogamous, that made our monogamous connection stronger because it was like, well, yes, obviously I'm still attracted to other people, but I'm like choosing to be with you, mm-hmm. not pretending like suddenly all of my attractions turned off. And so that was like a part of the conversation throughout of like, oh, like he's cute. He's hot. Like, but never any sort of serious discussion about anything other than monogamy until at least a year, year or so in. Yeah. yeah. Did you have any other like, background role models growing up or anything in your background that introduced alternative relationships to you? No, not at all. I grew up evangelical Christian. And so it was very much like, not only was like polyamory not on the table, like being gay wasn't even really on the table. Yeah. Um, I, so I came out in 2004, um, as queer and in 2000, seven did some like LGBT direct action activism at colleges and universities around the country, sort of like confronting the homophobic policies and transphobic policies and the theology that undergirds those. And that was when I first started meeting people who were like slutty and, and proud of it or like polyamorous, ethically non-monogamous. Um, and I think that the person who was like most vo- vocally ethically non-monogamous, she was like, maybe not so ethical <laughs> about it. It was like, <laughs> Like my wife didn't want to be polyamorous, but then I like showed her the way. Um, and there was just like some, and she had like a wife and a girlfriend and a submissive. Um, and there was just like something about her sort of like, it felt like she was like collecting people. Um, so I actually was like a little bit like turned, <laughs> turned off by yeah. that. That's like the first person I ever met who was like openly polyamorous. But then I moved to New York and a lot of those like same activist friends became like, my good friends and I met more friends and I was actually queer women, I think who were my sort of like early role models of polyamory, ethical non-monogamy. And I was like, Oh, like this is something that I can <laughs> get behind. Yeah. Uh, and so like so a, a, bit of a, a little bit of a possibility model in my early twenties. Did you bring that model? So you had a bit of exposure. It sounds like pr- previous to getting together with your partner that you were, yeah. it wasn't like part of your upbringing, but it sounds like you did have some exposure to it through through college and, and maybe yeah. shortly thereafter. Yeah, I definitely had some exposure to it. I mean, I think that because, because of my, I did a lot of activism over mm-hmm. in, my, in my 20s. And so, like, I was constantly, like, thinking about and talking about, like, gender and sexuality and relationships and politics and ethics. Um, so, like, that was often in, in the conversation and sort of in the air. So, it, it felt like an easy... Like it felt like an easy thing to talk about conceptually, a mm-hmm. little bit scarier to talk about in terms of like, do I want this for myself? Do I like, do I want to ask, bring this up with my partner and talk about it with him? Yeah. Like, how is that going to go on an interpersonal level? But um, like, it was definitely sort of like by the time, by the time we started talking about it, it was sort of in the waters that I was swimming in being sort yeah. of like in my twenties in Brooklyn, in New York with other queer <laughs> activists. It was like a very conducive place to sort of like come of age. Sure. Well, and I love too that it sounded like you built you built your relationship on openness and trust from the get go, even yeah, if it wasn't yeah. openness to the level of people are literally coming into it. Yeah. But the openness in the sense that you're not going to pretend that oh we got together and I just don't see anybody anymore. My eyes, I'm tunnel yeah. vision on only you, and I think that's just a really healthy approach to yeah, like not pretend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When we first decided to open up our relationship, we didn't have very many like 
rules in the <laughs> or mm-hmm. like any really but like we, what we did sort of like some of our founding principles that we were like you know wanted our relationship and other relationships to be founded on like honesty communication trust and consent and like that was actually kind of like the values that we had already had it was just sort of like applying them in a new context or recognizing like oh those these things that are sort of like values in our relationship don't necessitate sexual and or romantic exclusivity in order to sort of so it doesn't really necessarily feel like the sort of kernel the heart of who we were mm-hmm. changed it just was sort of like the outside parameters and how we live into that is what shifted yeah yeah i think because each one of those things you just l- threw a label out for right trust and openness honestly uh, those mean different things to different people and so yeah, i think totally. really saying when we say this word what do we as a unit mean mm-hmm. i think that's super important to, to yeah, yeah yeah i mean this the sort of like the specificity of language is so important in relationships that like in my work as a relationship coach with folks i'm often asking even like monogamous people like okay so you're monogamous like what does monogamy mean to you and like basically for every person that I ask, I get like a different definition of it. Yeah. And everyone seems that like has a sort of attitude of like, Ugh, I can't believe you're asking me this. Like, obviously monogamy is this. And that <laughs> like every person has like draws their lines like slightly differently. And so it's perhaps like not as self-evident as folks might think. Yeah. The labels is like just the beginning of the conversation. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. <laughs> Well, and it's and it's funny you bring that up because monogamy would be theoretically the easiest to define. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Uh-huh. And then you you say, well, we're we're in an open relationship, and you're like, oh, well, what does that mean? Or we're polyamorous mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. that can mean a hundred and fifty thousand mm-hmm, different totally. things. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that that you kicked you sort of kicked off your relationship in that way with mm-hmm. a mutual understanding that. These are labels. We have to talk about them, and we're we're going to build this on transparency, trust, and no like facade, which is mm-hmm. hard to do. It is. It's tricky. <laughs> I think that you know, there's that old saying like you know, if you love someone, let them go, and if they come back, you'll you know know that they're, you're theirs forever or whatever it is. But I I do feel like there is. People talk about like, oh, I could never be polyamorous. I could never be an open relationship because I'm like too jealous or I'm like too insecure. I'm like, oh my God, I feel like polyamory is like the antidote (laughs) to jealousy and insecurity. Because like, otherwise you're just sort of like worrying, like, are they secretly talking to other people? Are they falling out of love with me? Are they going to leave me for their hot coworker? Like, do they, are they just with me because like they said I do and they're, and and we're trapped. But, you know, in my relationship, I know like, I don't have to like worry about who he's like hooking up with or who he's got Mm -hmm. feelings for. I like know that. And like, I often like know those people and like they know and they respect me. And so like, I think things that feel very threatening to um, folks who are in monogamous relationships, I don't feel like, I I don't feel threatened by them. And in fact, like I feel oftentimes like feel enriched by them. For Mm -hmm. sure. And I, I definitely like, I think maybe it'd be great to go and pick up at the point where, you and your partner did open, but I, I just, I had a, a thought on that piece, which is often people do worry about it. Right. And you yeah. will we'll hear something similar to that, or even more specifically, I think I would be too jealous. Mm-hmm. And then you hear, you also hear people who said, I thought I was going to be so jealous. And then 
my partner went out and did this and I was so turned on. It was amazing. And it's been <laughs> yeah. the best thing that's ever happened yeah. to us. And it's, it's like, well, you thought and you were wrong, which is okay. But living in a way where you can explore those things in, in, a, yeah. in a way that feels safe is, mm-hmm. a, I think, powerful. Yeah. I don't want to like, like make an overarching generalization, but I do feel like oftentimes the folks that are like unsure and sort of like dragging their feet and like want to go slower often could stand to like move a little faster in the process. And the people who are like super gung ho and excited and sure about it, like could probably stand to go a little bit slower (laughs) in in the process. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And so that's kind of like one of my roles is to like stand in the middle and be like, you slow down, you speed up. I, I'm, a, I'm ashamed to admit my TikTok habit, but I, I was watching a, a stupid TikTok last night and it touched on exactly this where person was like, you know, talking about being in therapy and then somebody from the audience was like, I don't need therapy. I got my shit together. And they're like, no, no, you are the one who needs it more than anybody yes. in this room. And uh, the people who are, yeah, you're just like, no, that is exactly the person who needs to be there like yes. seven days a week. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> All right. yeah. I am in TikTok anonymous tiktokers anonymous i'm in recovery so yeah i feel you me too me too <laughs> i think a lot of listeners probably are <laughs> but if um, you're listening follow me on tiktok that's right. <laughs> yeah right <laughs> links in the show notes <laughs> um going back to how, what did it look like when you and your partner eventually opened up your relationship how did that go yeah so i think that we spent a lot of time I think even in the before we got to the like, okay, let's do it, like saying, I love you, I'm satisfied with our relationship, you know, I don't want this to end. This isn't like a reflection on any sort of like inadequacy. It just we were, I feel like we were like extra sort of gentle with each other in the mm-hmm. process. Um, and I think like intellectually, we I'll speak for myself, intellectually, I knew this doesn't mean anything about our relationship. This is about other stuff. Like, and also I know that we're like humans and we can be emotional and sometimes irrational. And I might want to like, I, sometimes I might be feeling a little insecure and just being rational isn't always enough. And so having a little bit of extra emotional support along the way was helpful. And so then I wanted to just sort of go above and beyond and offer that sort of in my process. Um, we talked a lot about, you know, what we were comfortable with, what we were worried about. And I think, it's interesting because I was like, I want to, you know, hook up with my friends and my exes and just sort of like blur the lines. Um, and he was like, I, I want to just have sex with the random people off of Grindr. That's <laughs> um, like, okay, cool. And we, and we so, somehow we like managed to dodge that bullet where couples feel like they have to be doing the exact same thing in order for it, it to work. And I don't know how we just sort of like he lands it on like, okay, well we want different things. I think he was a little nervous about like, sort of like blurring the lines of friendship, especially with exes. And I was like, well, I don't like their exes for a reason. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. But I think like also like we had a really good foundation of trust and communication leading up to this. And so we were already like regularly checking in about our feelings and what we wanted and, you know, the state of our relationship and where it was heading. And we weren't yet living together, but we were sort of like in dialogue about like, you might want to live together at some point, you know, we already sort of like starting to sort of chart a life together. And so I think there's a lot of stuff that we could look at mm-hmm. um, and say like, Oh yeah, this is, this feels like a stable relationship. And I think starting from that place of stability made it a lot easier. And we also were very much like, 
this can just be like an experiment. We're kind of like, we'll take it one, we'll take it one at a time. So like in the beginning, it was very much like, okay, yes, let's like give it a try, like check in when something is brewing. And it's like, oh, like my ex is in town. Like, could, like I was thinking that I might want to hook up with him. And he was like, I don't know. It's like, for your first, the first time we do this, you're going to be with your ex. And I was like, this, you're more important. That's not that big of a deal. Like, we can just get dinner with friends. Not a problem. Um, and so he was like, okay. And then he called back like 90 seconds later. And he was like, this is like, it's going to be fine. <laughs> like, I now that like you said, you saying he wouldn't do it. And then we hung up and now I've sat with it. And now it's like, it's going to be okay. And so then we talked about it afterwards. And like, you know, what was fun for you? Like... What, what, what worked, what didn't work. Um, and then the first, like, I don't know, few times or few months, there's probably more sort of like checking in, bef- like in well in advance, checking in right before, checking in after, talking about it. And as we sort of like trust got so like comfortable knowing it was happening, hearing about it, discovering that it was something that we could talk about and it didn't feel scary. And then also like we were still going on dates. We were still having sex ourselves. We were still continuing to build and our and grow our relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, this sort of like when you found out how you found out, did you find out in advance started to feel um, less important. And we never had any sort of rules about like, you have to tell me in advance. It was just sort of like, I would always love to hear about it, but you're never obligated to tell me. And he sort of said the same thing back, but in practice, at least for the beginning, it was very like in practice, we like told each other about everything. And then over time it was like, Oh no, I didn't like, I didn't know about that. And sometimes that would like, oftentimes I'd be like, whatever. And sometimes I would feel sort of a catch in my mm-hmm. chest of like, Oh, I didn't like, I didn't know about that. Um, but I think like, rather than catastrophizing that and being like, Oh, he's keeping it a secret. This like must mean I can't trust him or he doesn't trust me. I was just sort of like, Oh, like I could imagine like scurrying out to hook up with someone that I met on Grindr at, on my lunch break. And that they're like, sort of like not being a moment to text me and like that, not actually having any sort of reflection mm-hmm. on our relationship. And so a lot of just sort of like giving the benefit of the doubt and like trying to, if my head goes to some sort of like ungenerous explanation of things to take a minute to sit with like, well, what are some other explanations that are like more generous that this could be, and at least like holding space for those. And then like, if I need to talk about, like if it feels like there's a pattern or it feels particularly overwhelming, like talking to him, about it but like not going into it with a like you didn't tell me this thing and Mm -hmm. i'm so hurt and why would you do this to me but just sort of like i'm feeling this sort of way and here's what i'm like wondering or here's what i'm worrying about and can we explore this together rather than like chastise you for doing something wrong yeah Yeah. well like to me what occurs as you're talking is like you're leading with compassion for your partner yeah totally right it's like it's like i love this person and we're like Deep in, I mean, when we were in just a few years into it, I wasn't sure that we were going to spend our lives together. But like, someone that I cared a lot about, that I enjoyed spending time with, that I was like building towards a life together. And like, now that we've been together 14 years, like, have built a life together. So mm-hmm. like, why wouldn't I lead with compassion? And why wouldn't I like believe that he has my best interest, best interest in heart? Which doesn't mean like he can't hurt me or I can't hurt him, but that like he is an actual three dimensional person with his own sort of like complicated experiences that are in relationship with me and my own complicated experiences and rather than like, like a movie villain or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think too, what was stood out to me in sort of that journey that you two have gone on in terms of, let's just think about it. Like in terms of the, the rules, right. 
there were never really rules, but the but even with that, you two went above and beyond, especially early on, to yeah. take extra care. And I think that's, I just think that's really, I think it's beautiful, and I think it's important to do to establish some level of baseline trust in one another because you're about to jump off onto something that is scary, and and I think that first phone call of really, you really want to hook up with your ex for your first time. And you're like, Oh, whoa. Yeah. Sorry. I hear that. That's not like, that's not going to feel great. I don't need to do that. And it sounds like that was all your partner needed to hear to be like, Oh, okay. They do. They care enough about what we built to maybe adapt. But I think too, you, you can extrapolate that out and say that maybe doesn't work two, three, four, five years in, in every single experience, because you're going <laughs> right. to you're going to wear out your quote unquote sort of pseudo veto card. of Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so you you get to do that, I think. And I think you get to do that on occasion. And and he didn't say you can't. I'm vetoing mm-hmm. it. It was sort of like, oh, yeah. that lands hard. But I think you do get to a point of if, if every time you want to do something, it lands hard. Mm-hmm. Maybe we need to reevaluate what we're doing. Yeah. Um, but if it's like here and there, a little thing pings up, I don't know. I just, I think that was important to, to really catch that, that sort of laid the groundwork for other things falling away. Oh, we didn't need to check in as much. Everything just got a little easier. Cause that was like the first building block of trust that you cared about your team. Yeah. I think if you can like hold things more loosely to use a sort of another metaphor. It's mm-hmm. like if you're holding a, a precious butterfly. If you hold it too tight, you crush it, right? Yep. Like if you can, if you can hold your relationship and sort of the openness, whatever that looks like, whether that's open or polyamorous, like hold it kind of loosely. And then each of you try to go like a little bit above and beyond that and be like a little bit extra understanding, a little bit extra compassionate and a little bit extra concerning is going to put like a totally different vibe on it than if you were like, have these like really tight rules and constraints. And then you're always trying to like live up to these standards that you can't possibly live up to, or that you like agree to, but actually sort of like conflict with your actual desires or just sort of like conflict with human psychology. And you're constantly like trying to wiggle out of them or following the letter of the law or trying to like duck under them. Um, Even if like what you're actually doing ends up to being the same, like going above and beyond is going to feel different than coming down to that same level. And so how you frame it, I think can be a huge, like really can affect the whole sort of experience of the relationship. Yeah, totally. Well, I think, you know, like like a sort of an example along those, if if you're like, well, I'm going to be home at 10, right. And you walk in the door at nine 59 and 59 seconds, right. That's, that shows that you're just sort of like, how far can I push versus, (laughs) I got home at 9.45 because I wanted to show that I was aware of it, that you're probably like watching the clock starting at 9.30, being like, are they going to come home, right? Especially early on. And if you do that, later on when you show up at 10.15, it gets shrugged off. Yeah. Versus if you're always at 9.59, right? It starts to like create a pattern that, that yeah it's, i think like pa- like patterns is like so much more important to be mindful of like any any one thing is mm-hmm. like you can kind of like uh, there's extenuating circumstances all the time but if yep. it starts to become a pattern like that is something to pay attention to whether it's a pattern of like someone always being late or a pattern of someone always like you were saying earlier always like landing hard like then there's some evaluation to do and i yeah. found often that like with, whether it's me or with a client, if someone is like really hung up on 
you did this or you didn't do that or the, the rules with some other partner, some other experience. Usually it's like underneath all of that, is there something going on with like that primary relationship that is like, mm-hmm. I feel insecure with you. I don't feel desired. I'm wanting more sex than we're having. Like, you know, I'm confused and, but it's easier to sort of blame like, the hookup or the date or the other partner than to sort of introspect and mm-hmm. um, do some work on ourselves. And it's so much easier. It's like, well, if you were just like not on Tinder so much, we could have a better relationship. And it's like, I promise you he <laughs> could not be on Tinder and you could still be like bored or unsatisfied in your relationship. <laughs> yeah. 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 That might not be the issue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So what did, so you, you kind of cracked it open there weren't a whole lot of rules you. And I think also it just really illustrated the difference. You, you were like, I'm going to, I'm looking to blur lines with friends and exes. And he's like, I just want to hook up with random people. So clearly polyamory and non-monogamy don't mean the same things to two people. But (laughs) how did, how did that first, I don't know, maybe six months to a year of you diving in go? Cause that's treacherous water. I also realized we're asking you to like go back like 12 years. Well, it's, it's funny because after that first sort of like me hooking up with my ex, like pretty quickly what happened was like, I was hooking up with random people and he was like having connections with people in his like running club or in his like singing <laughs> in his like singing group. And so he was much more sort of like blurring those lines or like meeting someone on like Adam for Adam, but then they sort of like became friends and were hanging out and were like dating, but not calling it that. And so... Um, so the roles kind of switched. Yes, the roles definitely switched. I have switched back and forth over the over the years, and I, it's actually I found myself being like, "Oh, like I want something like that, where like you got this like friend, but you're hanging up, and you're like, like man, if I had that relationship with so and so, like I would I would call him my boyfriend, <laughs> right?" But he was very much like, "Oh, we're just friends," and so I, you know, um, it was interesting, sort of like the things that I found myself like getting jealous about or getting uncomfortable about. And it was very rarely like, I think I'm not enough or I'm worried that you're going to leave me and more just sort of like, there's like so much possibility in the world and I, <laughs> I want to like scoop it all up, which is not to say that sometimes I have, you know, worried, you know, are we going to make it as this like for forever? Um, but yeah, it's, it's, so there was a sort of a, a I think a, over the years, a, 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 on both of our parts, like an exploration of like, like friendships, hookups, dating, sort of like blurring those lines and not feeling like cons- constrained or feeling like we had to like put labels on it. And I think that we, I think if you had asked us, I don't know, like five years ago, maybe we might have said like, oh yeah, we're like, I mean, we're in a long-term relationship, but we're polyamorous and like everything is on the table and we're like, you know, interested in not hierarchies. Like we don't, call, I wouldn't call him my primary partner. Um, and then I was dating someone who was like, yeah, that's like well and good. You've like been together for eight years and you live together and you have a shared bank account. Like, and we've been <laughs> dating for like nine months. So like actually that relationship is more primary than ours mm-hmm. and like pretending like it's not doesn't actually serve anyone. And that was a bit of like a wake up call for me of like, oh yeah, intellectually, I want us to sort of like all be on mm-hmm. sort of the same playing field. And intellectually, I don't want to privilege Peter over this new boyfriend. Yeah. And also like there's a history there and there's a shared language there. And Peter, like my boyfriend knows my family and he, this, yeah. this new person didn't. And so like, there's also, things you can't replace. There, yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah. And so like, like, 
I think like describing it as like, oh yes, like descriptively he is mm-hmm. my primary partner and like prescriptively we're open to that changing. There's room for you here um, too. But like, if you don't, if you pretend that the like hierarchies and the privileges don't exist, then there's like actually no way it is much harder if, if at all possible to actually like overcome them, and make something more equitable with other mm-hmm. people. And so that was yeah. sort of a learning moment for me in terms of like, yeah, like we've been together for 14 years and he's functionally my primary partner. That's, yeah. I think that's something we, we, we and call, you cohabitate. Yeah. Like, and we cohabitate this, and yeah. we have, now we have a, we like own a car together. It's yeah. like, yeah, like, I mean, we're not legally married, but like disentangling would like take some work and also a lot of emotional work. And so like, even if I'm not consciously choosing my partner over someone new, like, I'm a human, right? That is like uh, that is either consciously or subconsciously going to be part of the equation in terms of like figuring out like how to prioritize my time or how to prioritize care for a person or how, like whose emotions like get catered to. And I think like being aware of that then helps me to like consciously push back against that. Whereas I think before I might not have noticed that I was sort of like falling into mm-hmm. a pattern. Yeah. The functional, functional hierarchy is something that I think comes up a lot. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it is a hard one to combat because there are just certain things, even I was just like thinking of an example of, right. If, you know, we live together and I maybe wanted to go out on a date with somebody, I'm probably going to check in with Emma just because it's going to impact like maybe she was counting yeah. on me to make dinner or she was planning yeah. to make dinner. Right. So there's, there's some overlap versus maybe a partner that's not nesting. Yeah. You might not ask, you might not ask in the same way, right. Depending on what your agreement is, but there might just be just a difference just because of how intertwined and enmeshed you are. Yeah. And when you're dating someone who's in an existing relationship, it's, it might like feel different if they're checking in with their roommate to see like, Hey, I'm thinking about bringing this guy over. Are you like, are you around? What's the deal? People understand that you like, and it's, it's not really permission thing or like, it's a, it's a courtesy thing, but there's much more emotion attached to it. When, if you're like doing the same exact thing with a person you live with, who happens to also be, like mm-hmm. our sexual and romantic partner. And so just let's really like being aware of for me, like as a person with the boyfriend who I live with, it doesn't feel necessarily like weird. Cause I'm like, why would you do the same thing if this was my roommate? And it's like, well, he's like, not your roommate. <laughs> You're <laughs> like, you've built a life together with him. And so it like to recognize, again, this is sort of like where like uh, the rational, logical versus emotional mm-hmm. intellectually. Yeah. It's the same sort of just like common living together with someone courtesy yeah. and also we're humans. And so to sort of like be aware of that and then to sort of like take extra care of it. And so like that could mean not just taking extra care of my partner who I live, with, but also this new person of like checking in with my partner well in advance so that I don't have to do it in front of him or yeah. like waiting until he's like, you know, gone to the bathroom so I can do it privately or having some sort of like standing agreement about how we're going to handle these things so that it doesn't feel like, Oh, I want to bring you home. But like now I can't cause this, like I have my partner thing just sort of like it, it involves doing a little bit of more like prep work so mm-hmm. that you can like take good care of like the new person you're dating as well. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Did as you as you and Peter moved through this, did you have it sounded like not really rules, but did you have sort of an understanding of were 
we're just kind of hooking up or maybe we want some longer term partners and oh falling in love no problem was there a, like a <laughs> no, was there no problem no, no problem, problem. Easy peasy. <laughs> was there was there sort of a an upper limit of how far you were sort of allowing yourselves and each other to like dive into connection yeah i mean not on paper mm-hmm. um it was very much sort of a like we'll assess as we go and we try to have like a weekly check-in that's like really that's very much like logistics focused on like what like what's your schedule for this week who's cooking dinner oh you've got a work meeting great and then like a monthly or so like sometimes it's like every month sometimes it's like every six months this is sort of like talk about sort of how things are going more broadly and so if we were dating other people that would be sort of a, a like an easy place for it to come up of like how are things going with so-and-so it's like person that you've been like hooking up with you seem to be seeing a lot of him like are you still just like friends who hook up or like what's going on there um i did fall in love i mean i think like he's fallen in love also and and but never had a boyfriend but like i had a boyfriend who i was in love with and we were together for many years and so that was definitely sort of like a learning and growing as we went to sort of like figure out, you know, how we, how we all, how all three of us like fit together. How do we want to fit together? How do we create space for this? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like the, I think the first time many at this point, like 12 years ago, the first time Peter sort of had someone that was, it was like very serious, even though they weren't calling themselves boyfriends, it was like, well, you like hook up and you hang out and don't hook up and you go out to dinner and you go out to shows and you like hang out with each other's friends. Like that is in fact. Dating. <laughs> so, you like, went to Christmas you, and then yeah. it seems like we're <laughs> like you spent like Thanksgiving evening at his house. Like I don't like call it what you, but so like that, like whatever, like however, whatever you call it, like I've experienced it as like you having this other relationship. And so that was like definitely tricky for us. I remember like I had some like big emotions about it. I would, you know, thankfully I had like friends, like a call and sort of like talk about it who understood me and like understood our relationship and believed in our relationship and wasn't sort of like, if he cared about you, he wouldn't be like seeing that guy. They would just be like, yeah, that sounds like a big emotion for you to be feeling right now. And so then I think similarly, the first time that I had, like a big serious person in my life that also like brought up some stuff um, in him that like that took some navigating, but it didn't, mm-hmm. it didn't feel like that relationship ended, but it didn't feel like it had to end. Like, like, I, like there wasn't space for him that we couldn't make it work. It was just sort of like for very, for a number of reasons, like that partner and I like weren't good fit as romantic partners, but like in theory, we were all like, 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 like could, that could have worked. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 I think what's maybe a, a just sort of a follow on question to that was early, earlier in the conversation, you said when you, when you two decided to open it, you looked at it as sort of an experiment, like, let's give it a whirl. Let's give yeah. this a try. And I think I love that approach. And I also see, we've seen that bite people in the ass because, Oh Yeah. One person's like, well, this experiment sucks. I don't want to play anymore. And the other person's like, mm-hmm. well, I kind of fell in love with somebody and I don't really want to just like chop them out of my life. How yeah. How do you navigate that dichotomy? I mean, I think that I will say that I don't necessarily know that I would recommend the like, it's a, it can be an experiment approach for most people. We like we were, so we started dating when we were 23. So we were like 24 mm-hmm. or 25 yeah. when we decided to like open up our relationship. I was his first ever boyfriend he was my first boyfriend that lasted more than like three months. Right. Like I never had, I had this year. And most of those were like in college. So mm-hmm. it was like 
my first like it was both of our first serious relationships and so like uh, like I think like a subtext that like maybe we said or maybe we never said it was like I don't really know like mm-hmm. so like I think for us like at the time we didn't want to break up but it also felt like part of it was also through, we might not the, the sort of like verdict was still out mm-hmm. are we right for each other we were so young and had such little relationship experience that like polyamory or not on the table just sort of like do, are we compatible long term and do we need to experience other things to, to know that and so, like, I think I, looking back on it, I would have been devastated. I would, in the past 14 years, I would not trade that for anything in the world. But like, in the moment when you were, like, 24 and a half, being like, yep. yeah, like, okay, we'll try this. And, like, yep. if he wants to be polyamorous and I don't, like, we'll just break up. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, like, that calculation changes, like, either when you're older and you feel like you have, like, less time, mm-hmm. um, which is, like, maybe real, maybe not real. Or just, like, the older you get and the more relationship experience you have, you might know earlier on like oh this is a good fit for me mm-hmm. right like i wouldn't like fuck around and find out <laughs> with here now because i like i know that we're a good fit but like if there was a little bit of like i don't know like not, we weren't in high school but it felt a little bit like hi- like a high school relationship and so sort of, like, sort of like recognizing like at different stages of your life you're going to make different decisions and like yeah some 16 year olds stay together for forever but also like it's okay. It's, it's, it's easier to experiment when you're 16 because you're like, you're young and you're still learning. And so that was, I think, part of yeah. my, part of what was happening. Yeah. Yeah. Part of what was yeah. happening for me personally. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And it, and it was no criticism. I think it's no, no, because it's an important red Because when I work with folks, I think like you can't like, I don't know, you like can't control how you feel. Right. Mm-hmm. And you can't control falling in love. And like you can decide not to like act on that. And like, maybe you'll choose that metal feel good for you. Or maybe you'll choose that and you'll feel resentful about that. You also, I think like you, like if you're the person who is like, Oh, I like think that I could be in an open or non-monogamous relationship. And that would like feel really good for me. I think it's like really, you can choose to be monogamous, but you're like probably not going to go back to, Oh, I can't understand why anyone would ever be polyamorous or in an open right. relationship. It's kind of like once you've like seen it, you can't unsee it. Right. And so there also is, I think, like if folks are considering an open or polyamorous relationship, even if they decide to stay monogamous, it's almost like you're not staying monogamous. You're like choosing monogamy, and you're going to have to define what that means for you. It's like you can't like ever go back in time, right? And so I think like mm-hmm. being really aware of that and like i don't know if you're listening and you're like well like maybe i shouldn't talk to my partner about this because i can't put the genie back in the bottle it's like the genie's already out of the bottle <laughs> right like because you're already thinking about it yeah, yeah you're already thinking about it like if you're listening to this podcast like the genie's already out of the bottle <laughs> yeah. and so like only like your only choice is like how do you move forward in a way that honors you that honors your partner yes um that you sort of like make decisions that are best for both of you together yeah because yeah. at the end of the day if you like you're going to be sacrificing yourself if you depending, but like you yeah. could be sacrificing yourself. Yeah. And I think like powerfully choosing, I could see how an open relationship would really work for me. And also I know myself and I don't need that to be mm-hmm. sexually and emotionally and romantically fulfilled. And it would feel good to like choose that for this partner. And to like, I'm going to do that is like totally different than like, I have all of these desires and I feel shame about them. And I like, I have to be monogamous. Otherwise this person like won't love me. Like that's not like a good spot for you to be in. That's like not good for your relationship long-term. Um, 
Yeah. 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 And I think that's similar in a similar vein, something that sort of we probably, I probably say on repeat on the show often, <laughs> which is right. You don't control your feelings and in, yeah. In, yeah. in your sort of your example of experimenting when you're, you know, 20 in your early twenties, I think there are people too, who maybe they've been married for 20 or 30 years and they're, they're now thinking, well, and I'm just generalizing what we hear often. The kids yeah. are out of the house. What now? Yeah. We, we have more time. We would love to experiment with this. And I think the experiment mentality is great. I think there's also the double-edged sword of what happens, you know, somebody might, might catch feelings and they mm-hmm. may not want to turn off the experiment. Or we often hear too the, like often more of like a more casual swinging dynamic of, well, we don't, we don't get feelings. We don't do that. Part. <laughs> and it's, and it's, yeah, you don't yeah. until you did. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then you don't, then what do you do? And I think, I think going into it with the mindset that we are doing this for fun is a great idea. Mm-hmm. But I think having the conversation of, but what happens? Like, let's, let's project a little bit and say, what happens if you or I do fall in love? What yeah. are we going to do? And how do we want to at least, let's have a thought experiment about it, I think is important. Yeah, I think also, like you were saying, like like playing it out a few steps and just sort of like being a human about it. But like, because I hear some folks be like, it's just sex. There's like no emotions or there's like, there's no dating. There's no relationships. And it's like, well, unless you're only allowed to hook up with a person once, like if you hook up with the same person like eight times over the course of two to three months, like unless you're a horrible person, (laughs) like you're going to like at least care about this person in some capacity. Like, I don't know. There's this person that I've been hooking up with who lives like, I scurry across, he lives a block away. I like, scurry across the street and we like go hook up and I like, I scurry back, you know? And it's like, we've never even kissed. We don't really talk. Like, I mean, we talk a little bit, but let's like, and also like now I've done it like, I don't know, 10 times over the past few months. So it's like, I know his name now. Like it's just like starts to bleed in, even though like, it, even though that's like explicitly not the dynamic that we're going for, I can't help but like, he asks me how my work day is going. Like I ask him about how his. I like notice that like the the, the school the college sweater sweatshirt that he like wears sometimes. It's like yeah. y- if you bump up with someone over a number of times, you get to like, know them. You get to know them, <laughs> and like that's not a bad thing <laughs> necessarily. Yeah. And so like then what do you do with that? And if your whole setup is predicated on you can't ever care about anyone else except for me, that's just sort of like well, that's like not what it means to be human. Like I also yeah. care about my sister. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 yeah I love it. Yeah. I appreciate the conversation. On that. Yeah, yeah. No, me too. And like, I would, I guess like, I don't want to skip forward like 10 years, but I, I, for the sake of time too, can you talk a little bit about kind of how, where you're at now and what, how your relationship, the two of you orbit in, in your relationship? Yeah, I think that's so interesting because so I there was a while where I had two boyfriends. And so like when people when I was like talking to someone on Tinder or Grinder or like at a bar or whatever, and they would ask, it was like very clear, like I have like these two partners, mm-hmm. right? Because like people know like boyfriend equals partner. And I think like now that I just have like one boyfriend, when people ask me, even if I say like I'm in an open relationship or I'm polyamorous, I think people are most interested in 
hearing about that person or they'll ask like, oh, is your partner, because I'm also bisexual, like, is your partner a man or a woman? Like, do you live with your boyfriend? Like, how long have you and your partner been together? And it's like, well, if he's like the, like a big part of my life, but I also have like a friend who like, we're friends. We say we love you to each other. We hook up, but we're like not dating. Who's like in the mix. And then there's like some friends I sexed with and some friends like when I'm back in New York that I like really care about. Like there's this guy that like, we met on my last day before I moved out of New York. And so like every time I'm back in the city, we like go on a date and have a sleepover. But like, I only see him like, I don't know, twice a year, if that, right? And so like when people are like asking about what is your open relationship like or what is your polyamory like, what they usually mean is me, this one person, and it's like all these other sort of important people yeah, in my like, life. Are you ready for like a, like a 20 minute conversation about how this all <laughs> Yeah. All it's like, well, I, like in some senses, I have one partner, and in some senses, I have like 12, right? right. Like my, my family, like my family of origin is also like really important to me. Like I go see them a lot. Like if we were to like have any sort of like meaningful relationship, like they're in the picture a lot. I have like best friends back in New York who I don't have sex with, but who I like care about and go on vacation with, you know, like they're in the picture. And so I think that I like one of the things that I like spend a lot of like time doing is like, I think like pushing back on the idea that like the only relationship in my life that matters is my boyfriend of 14 years that I have sex with. And that like my best friend of 16 years who I don't have sex with is also just as important. And these friendships that are somewhere between you know, friend and lover are also important, even if they're not 14 years long. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of like looking at like, sort of like holistically the people and experiences and values that make up my life and all of our lives and sort of like naming them all as important. Um, I don't know. I just think that's like super important because like our culture really values like you're one and only. Right. And I think that my life is so enriched by having Peter be a big part of that, but also having he, he has his own life and I have my own life and we are merging our lives together. And we have like, you know, friends and lovers and family. And it's like the constellation mm-hmm. of it is just feels like so much richer. And I think you could do all of that in the context of monogamy. I just, just sort of like, I, you know, I think it's a little bit easier to do it in the context of polyamory. Um, but also it's quite easy to sort of like fall into the, like only my, romantic partners sort of count. I have three of them instead of just one, but we're still sort of like very romantic centric. And so um, I am really interested in sort of like blurring those lines of like, what does family mean? What does commitment mean? And how can I be committed to people in addition to my romantic my romantic partner, especially as I age, like I'm like 37 now. One of my best friends is like 51. He's single. And so it's like, what is like, what would it might, it, might it, what might it look like to sort of like think about intentionally building a life together with you too, you know, mm-hmm. um, as my parents age, as my partner and I are considering getting legally married and we're having some sort of like celebration ceremony. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, we've been together for a while. Like we're pretty cool. <laughs> like I want, I want to celebrate that, but also like finding a way to honor like the richness of mm-hmm. that life together and not sort of like collapse it down to like, Hey, look, we're just like the hetero monogamous people too. And like, we're going to have, uh, you know, very traditional looking marriage or yeah. very traditional looking wedding celebration. We want to sort of like celebrate what makes us unique, not just what makes us the same. Yeah. Yeah. I love oh, that. I love that. Yeah. I think too, what I, what I maybe distilled out of that. And I think it's something we've been hearing a lot about and, and maybe let me know if I got it kind of right, which is 
you want to be able to meet somebody and create whatever relationship with them makes sense, whether that's yeah. a friendship, it's a romantic partnership, maybe it's purely you hook up, you know, whatever. Once you yeah. know, every couple of weeks you run across the street and you do that. And and so you just create whatever relationship makes sense with that person at that time. And it can change and it can flop, be in flux. Yeah, def- definitely that. And I will say that I think that, again, sort of like naming your privileges. Like, I think like it is easy for me, easier for me to do that because I have this relationship of 14 years. And so it's Mm -hmm. easy for me to be like, yeah, like let's like build a French, like a commitment with my single friend. And like, what could it look like to sort of have this community people? Cause like, well, yeah, like, and also like when push comes to shove, like, you know, that Peter's got your back. And so I Mm -hmm. want to just like name that, like my experience of like blurring the boundaries and sort of like being open to sort of like a multiplicity of things might feel different than if you're single, you've been living on your own, you've been living in a studio apartment or a one bedroom, like totally responsible for your own rent for many years. Like the idea of having like a one person, Mm -hmm. there are lots of like logistical and emotional reasons why that might feel like really good and really important. I don't want to like take that away from anyone. (laughs) No, I don't think that you, I don't think that you were saying that, but I just sort of like naming that for my, for myself. Yeah. 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 Well, I think too, it brings up another point in there, which is, naming it to the other partners because there's yeah. a there's a potentiality right of you are maybe let's say you have a another person in your orbit who it's kind of serious right and you're yeah. the only person in their orbit well you're kind of their primary partner yeah and uh-huh. peter's kind of your primary partner and yeah. so <laughs> it's not a mutual it's just not a mutual alignment there yeah and i think yeah, being I had able a to partner that out. was like it's it's feels who i think that i actually liked and was more invested in than he was in me mm-hmm. but because like i had this peter and he didn't have a corresponding person it felt like he felt like he had so much more to lose than i did and he just was constantly feeling very vulnerable and that eventually became too much for him even though i was like oh my god devastated and heartbroken and i was like i've already been planning our like not only our wedding but our funeral together like i'm in it for the whole <laughs> yeah. like i'm in it for the whole long haul but just like it felt a little bit too much like hanging out yeah. on a limb for him and i like mm-hmm. i'm sad about that but also can't you know can't hold him that he's got to do what he's got to do to take care of yeah yeah heart. yeah yeah totally one one thing that maybe we we let get glossed over that that seems pretty important, which is your evangelical background, and <laughs> and, and I and it, and it really never came up anywhere in this conversation. Of course, we probably mentioned it in the intro, but yeah, you your sort of online personality and existence is around queer theology, and so maybe yeah. I definitely want to give you the chance to talk about the work you do, but maybe just squaring up religion, religious background with being queer, being polyamorous and all of these things. Which we know can be a whole other conversation. Oh, Oh, totally, totally. (laughs) I actually think that this actually leads really well because I was already thinking about this sort of connection that I think another one of the, like, ways that I'm able to sort of say, yeah, like, let's, like, see where it goes. Let's allow every relationship to sort of, like, be on its own terms. Like, maybe it's a life partnership. Maybe it's someone that I, like, scurry across the street to hook up with. Is because, I think, it is easier now than it was 20 years ago, 15 years ago. Cause I've like unpacked a lot of the shame that camp comes with growing up queer in the U S growing up 
being in a non-monogamous relationship in the U.S., uh, like being if you're kinky or just like sex positive mm-hmm. in general, whether or not you grew up evangelical or not, all of like American and like most of the world's culture is like really saturated by this sort of like puritanical understanding of Christianity, specifically in religion more generally, um, that like can really sort of like sink its teeth into what a relationship is supposed to look like and what type of like sexual desires are like normal or perverted or healthy or unhealthy. And it took a lot of work around sort of like understanding my desires as like not only like acceptable and okay, but actually like good and useful and even like holy is sacred to, to sort of like use that language that then that sort of like shifted things where it was like, like, I don't know, like going to just like hook up with a stranger is doesn't have to be a shameful thing. It can be, it can, it can come from a source of like security and pride. And like, it, I don't know, there's a lot of vulnerability, right. To go oh, meet yeah. with someone who you hardly know to like get naked together to say like, these are the things that like sexually make me feel good in a culture that has told us to like not be sexually in touch with our bodies, especially like as a, as a queer person that like to do things that like don't fit the hetero mold of like a man fucking a woman, right? Like all of that has like layers of like shame and vulnerability into it that I think like it's, there's one way of approaching it where it's like, oh yeah, like I don't care. Like I'm just, it's just for fun. I don't think about religion at all. Like I'm just getting off. It's like, if that works for you, like cool. Like, right. and also that this thing that you're doing that you think is not spiritual and is not religious is actually incredibly vulnerable. It isn't like a hospitality in its own way. I mean, like something you're like consensual and you're not you're mm-hmm. taking advantage of someone. Right. But like, actually it's like this really beautiful thing happening. And to name, to name that and to sort of see the ways that like, queer people and swingers and sluts and and like ethically non-monogamous folks have like lived and loved and like smushed our bodies together over the decades and the centuries and the millennia um and to say like oh like this is beautiful as well um Mm -hmm. i think has been super super meaningful to me i think like you know i've gotten a lot out of like learning from aids activists and like and act up and stonewall generation and, and even before that of like oh yeah like we don't have to be ashamed of our sex lives and our bodies. And like that sort of inner work on ourself feels like an important part of then being in a relationship with someone else that mm-hmm. like for whatever sort of like interpersonal interrelationship communication work you're going to do, you also have to do some work around like your own body and your own desires and your own shame and your own power. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And, and, and what I, I think what's interesting that I never really heard in what you just described was a need to defend. And I, and I think this is what you often see when these conversations come up is, well, but if you look at this verse and this book and this, you can see how it's wrong. And then ah, people yeah. people get into the fight about, well, yeah, but if you go over here and you cross-reference this and you flip yeah, it upside yeah, yeah. down <laughs> and you read it backwards, it's okay. And so yes. everybody's trying to justify it rather yes. than just saying like, is it is it wrong? Okay, maybe it is, but I've accepted that it's quote unquote wrong and yeah. I've worked through that and now I'm just like being okay being me. Yeah, I think that when I was first starting to realize that I was queer, I like had heard it's, you know, being gay is a sin. Mm-hmm. I like looked to the Bible and then to the internet and like it told me that it was wrong. And so then I was like Googling like 
what do these verses really mean? And some other article was like, no, here's why those verses are wrong or misinterpreted and actually is okay to be gay. But then I like, kept Googling and then a different article would say like, no, this like pro-gay argument that you read is actually wrong. And here's why it's really not okay. And then I would like read a different article that was like, no, that one that said that it was, it's just like, it's just like a hamster wheel mm-hmm. that I couldn't get off of. And then actually that it all sort of all changed for me when I was, I was like dating this guy and we were, walking our dogs in the national park that was in between our parents' houses and leaving the park. Um, and sort of like, I became a very aware of the boundary between the park where we were able to sort of like be ourselves and let our hair down. And it was, it was like 2004 or so like gay marriage was legal in like a, a state. And you were like Matthew Shepard had been murdered. Like, I don't know, six years prior. Right. Like, we were still getting looks and sneers when we were out in public. So this was a place where we could be really safe and secure. And that sort of coming to this boundary, it really felt like leaving the Garden of Eden that had been our this sanctuary. And I remember like looking down at his hand as we were standing on the boundary and being like, Oh, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This is the helper that is suitable for me. Like we're helping each other to come into ourselves, to love each other, to like love our queerness. And I like, understood like the garden of eden story in a whole new way and i could be able to like see this like thing that we have between us as something like beautiful and sacred and then i was like oh like like fuck leviticus like (laughs) like this like this is this is so much more powerful and i think in my work talking with folks i've i've talked with people who are like you know, I don't know. I want to like gay people, but I'm not sure if it's okay because of these verses. And at queertheology.com, we just like skip over those verses. And we, we have, well, I've had conversations with folks coming into it who aren't sure. And I think the traditional way of thinking about whether it's queerness or polyamory or ethical non-monogamy is to sort of like debate those verses or try to like make a legal case for why, why it's okay. And what we have found is like talking about like our experiences of like being ethically non-monogamous are like so much more compelling than trying to like argue about church law or Jewish law or the Bible. Um, and like talking about even like, I've, I've like talked about like sex and like the hospitality, like Christian hospitality as like going hand in hand with like being slutty and like people who are like, started the conversation, like not knowing if it's okay to be gay. And I'm like, here's how I like found like a holy moment where like a one night stand. They're like, Oh, I actually can like wrap my mind around that easier than I think like you can wrap your mind around because you can't like, no one knows a lot of these like translations. It's just like so archaic. It becomes this academic argument. Um, But I found like sort of like getting touch with no, like no one can argue with your story. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like when talking with others, people, I think it helps to lead with like your story and like where you're finding the divine and how you're living out your values. Mm -hmm. And when working on yourself, like you're, your your brain is also probably not going to be convinced by like a, a book <laughs> or an <laughs> argument either that like making friends with people who are already doing it, having role models, figuring out like how, where the shame is sitting in your body, getting in touch with what you actually desire, finding ways to like name that as like good and holy and like worthy is I think going to be in the long run more helpful than trying to like write a dissertation about it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. It's beautiful. Yeah. I think it's powerful, right? To really, it sounds like it's leaning on the tenets of maybe let's say religion, right? Hospitality, right? What is, what does that mean to you versus, well, 
you read all of these pages and this is what it's supposed to be versus no, like I don't really ascribe to that. I think hospitality looks like this and I can show you what that means to me in my life versus yeah. let me write a book about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that like, I mean, queerness and certainly polyamory and ethical non-monogamy, like trust, so like self-sacrificing love, like commitment, all these like really sort of like lofty ideals can be lived out in really powerful, like profound ways in the context of polyamory or ethical non-monogamy. Like the idea of like an abundance, right? Like, mm-hmm. abund- like they're like being more than enough. You know, we like, we like, we like live that every single day. Um, monogamous folks might talk about abundance, but, but like, <laughs> this is like, like a, a daily practice, like believing that there's like enough love, there's enough time, there's enough commitment um, to sort of go around. Yeah. yeah it's just like, it's a spiritual practice. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Can you plug your work a little bit so that we'd love for you to talk about it so that people can find you and did you have a question? Yeah, but I I was going to ask exactly that. And then just afterwards, if you have a few minutes, I had another couple of burning questions, but let's, let's hear about your work. Yeah, totally. So if you are interested in sort of like the intersections of polyamory and spirituality, um, from a like post-Christian perspective, you don't have to be Christian and we're becoming more interfaith as we go, but just to like name our mm-hmm. backgrounds, um, queertheology.com. We have like a self-study course all about Christianity, polyamory. We're often doing support circles, coaching, stuff like that. And so, um, that is a great place for the sort of intersection of spirituality and polyamory. And then like, if you're a queer or polyamorous person who is wanting some more, like more practical support around sort of like doing your relationships well in a way that you don't have to like, translate <laughs> like i'm a queer man and like it doesn't seem like there's any other queer man talking about this um this is bgm on sort of all social medias or this is bgm.com will take you uh to my work but that's sort of more practical support focused yeah love it, love and, it yeah. and links will be in our show notes for all of that so that's amazing i'm i love the work work you're doing brian so thank yes, you for doing it yes no it's thank amazing. you so much we have a couple if you're around for it a couple few more questions before we let you go yeah totally i'm down awesome so one of them is around the the it's convoluted so i'll just give me a moment i'll get there (laughs) sure sure. (laughs) your sort of original idea of hooking up with exes and you made the comment well they're an ex for a reason (laughs) and and i think that opened up a, a thought for me of I think often what you hear and see happening in polyamory is people, again, making relationships be what makes sense for that relationship. And so maybe just talking about sort of that intersection, right? And and what the translation for me there would be is this wasn't a person I wanted to buy a car with, move in with, and do all these things with, but the sex was pretty damn good. And Mm -hmm. we had a lot of fun maybe going surfing. So our relationship is we surf and we have sex. We don't do these other things. And I think maybe just your sort of philosophy on creating a relationship that should be what a relation, whatever it should be. Yeah. I think it really depends to, I mean, to sort of give like a (laughs) expert sort of answer. It depends. I think one of the things that it depends on, right. Is like how long the relationship was. Mm -hmm. And so like this particular ex, I think we dated for like, two months, right? Like it was relatively short. We like figured out pretty quickly that like we weren't compatible. And so like in that case, like it made it easier to like occasionally 
like hook up and sort of like be casual friends that we saw like, I don't know, like every six months or something like that. I think that sometimes in sort of like ethical non-monogamy circles, the sort of like more enlightened ideal, right? Is like, oh, since it can be anything that you want it to be, if you've been in a romantic relationship with someone and you're not going to be romantic partners anymore, you should like de-escalate your relationship and like just go back to like being friends or like doing some things together or like keeping the sex, but like not being partnered or not having sex, but just playing board games together. And like sometimes you like break up because it's toxic, it's unhealthy, like, you actually don't want that person in your life anymore. And so like, you shouldn't have to keep that person in your life to be like a good polyamorous person. And sometimes like, it wasn't toxic, it just sort of like, didn't work. Mm -hmm. But you really cared about the other person and you were together for a long time. And so it's just like quite painful to be around that person. And like, you're not also not bad. If you need to like, take some time to heal and take some time apart and like, not hang out for a while, not hang out for a while. And that like time apart, like might mean that like, then once you've like healed a little bit, then you could come back and find a relationship that does work for you. That maybe, you know, is, is, is surfing and sex or is, you know, card games and talking about politics or like whatever it might be for you. But I don't, I just think that it's like not a one size fits all thing. And that there's like having a sort of like very, what some people might call like mononormative like breakup where it's like we were dating and now we're not. And like, now we don't talk anymore is not inherently sort of wrong. And also I think like one of the beautiful things about polyamory is that like, if you can figure out a different way of relating to to the other person, great. You don't have to feel like you've done something wrong by moving, deciding to stay together, but like not live together anymore or deciding Mm -hmm. to like stay together, but not get legally married or like, have sex but not live together or stop having sex and just be friends you know that, that, that sort of partner that peter was with for for like you know a year or so at some point they stopped having a romantic and sexual relationship and then over time like if they took a little bit of, they, they went through a period where they didn't see each other very much and then like you know after i don't know like six months or a year like started hanging out more and became best friends like and that that person became the heart center of our chosen family, uh, like vacations together. And like, I just think about like, I'm so glad that a, that there might've been a moment early on if I had the veto power where I would have vetoed it because like mm-hmm. it, there was times where it just felt so uncomfortable. And I'm like glad that I did like, wasn't able to, so I shouldn't do that. And then I'm glad that after they like stopped dating, that they were able to find something else because it just like enriched my life and enriched their lives um so much and i think like uh uh, sort of like more traditional way of going about it it was like oh well we're not dating anymore and so like we've got to cut each other out of our lives and it doesn't it doesn't have to be like that but if if you do if you do have to cut some out of your life like that's okay as well yeah no i i love that i think it's the fluidity right that and maybe maybe it's cut them out of your life for six months and then they start to come back in and then you rebuild something different and I just think I think that fluidity again back to the let's let the relationship be yeah what what, like what it should like what's right for this and like sometimes what is right for this is to like not really have you around in my life very much and like mm-hmm. that's okay as well but sometimes what 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 is right is to you know to be to become best lifelong best friends and I think like holding the door open for all those possibilities is really beautiful oh yeah I love it. oh yeah I love it too do you have another one I uh, do but it's probably the same one you're gonna ask okay. <laughs> you go, you go, then I'll go. If, if, I don't if, know. Um, well, probably. Well, 
depending. I have we'll two. find out eventually. Um, <laughs> uh, I was curious, multiple things, but one of, um, you know, as you navigate and your relationships and whatever that means for you at whatever time, like, how do you keep yourself safe in like physically, sexually, all of the things like what emotionally. are your stra- emotionally, what are your strategies? Yeah. So I am in sort of in and out of therapy, like individual therapy as needed. My partner and I also go through period, like my partner that I live with, and I go through periods of time seeing like a couple's counselor or a couple's coach, um, like not continuously, but like, again, like through periods of time when we're like, when we were considering moving across the country together, as we've been considering like getting legally married or having a celebration, just sort of have a third person, like a third party to help us like, a, give us some accountability to like actually like show up and like do the hard work of like figuring out like the next chapter mm-hmm. and then just to sort of like hold space and also a little bit of like we're like we've been together for 14 years. We're really good at taking care of one another and keeping each other safe. And so like sometimes it is helpful to have someone else to just sort of like poke a little bit. Um to because you sort of have to like in order to change, you have to like get uncomfortable a little bit and rock the boat a little bit. And so um having someone to sort of lovingly and gently poke at us <laughs> sometimes um can be helpful i also you know uh go to the doctor regularly get tested for stds and stis regularly i'm on prep to prevent um hiv i think also you know it's as much as possible it's important to me to like be hooking up with or dating people who also are similarly sort of like have like worked through their shame and are like also going to the doctor regularly and are able to talk about like if they get an STI, they'll tell me about it so that, like I can go get tested and treated so that, like I'm not passing it on. I think like it's a very cliche thing to ask, like, or to tell people, like, make sure you ask, like, when were they mm-hmm. last tested? And I think that actually the more important question is like, when are you gonna get tested next? Right? Because everyone except like the most selfish assholes think that they don't have an STI at the moment that they're hooking up with you, right? And so like what you're really more concerned about is like when they go to the like, are they gonna go to the doctor? ever again <laughs> like and when they go like in a few weeks in a month in three months in six months are they gonna like report back to you if there's something up because i think that's that, that is going to be like really helpful in keeping yourself safe and keeping your other partners safe and keeping our community safe and so like being with people who are like in an open dialogue about that like obviously like you can only like ascertain so much if you're going for like a one-night stand like that you yeah, arranged yeah, an yeah. hour in advance yeah. um it's all about your also, risk tolerance too yeah like, totally and I think like I like sort of you can bring into whether it's a, someone that you're dating or someone that you're hooking up with sort of like an, an energy of like, I'm not ashamed about this. I'm able to talk about this openly. Honestly, like I'm able to like treat you like a human and respectfully. And like, that's not going to make an asshole, not an asshole. But if someone is like on the fence or like in their own sort of head a little bit about it, like you bringing sort of like a confidence mm-hmm. and a like shame-free energy into the space. And whether that's like the room or the date or the bar can really change the, can it really impact it other, or if you bring in sort of like a only like, you know, answer in short words, don't talk that much, be awkward about like be weird about talking about sex. Like that also like affects mm-hmm. the energy. And so mm-hmm. I think for me, there's a little bit of sort of like, I'm going to try and show up the most open hearted, the most generous, the most sort of like communicative that I can be mm-hmm. and like let the person have a little bit of that extra abundance. Um, and so like be lifted up by that rather than feeling like I am 
yeah. like contributing to any sort of sense of like shame or secrecy or like dirtiness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, spot, I love it. And I think, you know, maybe one of the Dan Savage-isms that, that comes up there is how somebody reacts to the information you give them sort of tells you a lot about that oh, person. Yeah, right? totally. So yeah, you, you might not be able to change that person being an asshole, but you're going to pick up on it real quick and you're probably going to then be like, okay, now it's the calculation. Do I want to move forward with this asshole or do I want to yeah. like leave and find somebody who's not an asshole? Yeah. And like having the self-assurance of like, I am already enough that what I am doing, like looking for a date or a hookup outside of the relationship that I'm already in is like not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Like there'll be other people who, you know, I can find a connection with uh, and pay, like allow me to sort of say like, Oh, I don't, I'm getting a bad vibe just from the chatting I'm doing on this yeah. dating app. Like I don't need to continue this further. And just, like at some point, like when you're first starting out, you like might have that much data, but like if you've been, even if you've been dating online as a single person for like, you know, a few a year or more, like you sort of like start paying attention to the pat, like we we're talking about earlier patterns of mm-hmm. like, Oh yeah. Yeah. If it's a series of like NM, you question mark, like yeah. that's like going to be a different vibe than someone who like, engages and talks about their day robustly yeah. to you and i, yeah, I, I yeah. often i want to be like i'm not asking you a question because i like actually care about your day i mean i do i do care about it but like also like i'm asking you the question to see like can you communicate with me like a human being it's just as much about like c- like communicating information as it is about communicating personality and values and respect to one and like an interest and like can you like, do you know how to like take an interest in another person? Yeah. Like, are you going to be weird about this when we get yeah. meet up in person? Yeah. yeah. Can, can you, you communicate? Like, say, can you human? Yeah. Can you communicate? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think that small talk sometimes gets a bad rap, but like, I think like small talk is how we establish like rapport and mm-hmm. trust with other people and like, like paying attention to this, like paying attention to the small talk actually does matter. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I agree. I agree with that. Yeah. Um, it wasn't my question. It wasn't? No. Nope. I, I know what your next question is. Yeah, and I think it actually fits pretty well. And then we can we can let you get along with your day, Brian. Is um we love to ask a question around bloopers. And sometimes <laughs> they can be they can be sexual bloopers or they could be a date blooper and, and it, you can choose one or choose a few. It just the idea is to show that like even after doing this for 14 years, it's still hilarious. We still mess up and we still wake up the next day and and can, and can be human, right? <laughs> yeah. Th- so this is like a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a sexual blooper. It's a little bit of like an emotional self-work blooper that it wasn't until I was living with one of my friends who, who, who was a woman and, and she one time was telling me about like going on some hookup and that it was like bad. And so she left and I was like, wait, you can just like leave <laughs> in, the, in the middle of a hookup. And she was like, yeah, you should try it sometime. Like what, if it's like, if they're like, not who they say they are, or like, it's a weird energy or they're like not being respectful. You don't have to stay. You can just leave. And that sort of like blew my mind. Um, and so like in the instances that I have, like I've since oh, uh, over the years, like a handful of times, like gotten somewhere and then either like right away or like in the middle of things, like I'm like, Oh, I'm not, I'm not feeling this. Like there's a weird energy or like, I'm sometimes it's the, it's the other person. It's like, Oh, you're just like putting out a super weird energy that I like, I'm not picking up on. Or sometimes it's like me. Like I realize like I'm getting in my head about something. And I, I think that like often what happens is like, 
the moment before I like decide to leave, I have a moment of like, you should have known like (laughs) that person was like chatting weirdly, but like you like ignored it anyways. And like now here you are, or like you should have known like hooking up with this person, like wasn't going to like make your like depression go away. Like, and like, and now here you are. And like that, even, even as we're like talking about like, you know, feeling people out and getting a sense a vibe of things like there are still going to be times where like i end up places that i like <laughs> realize like oh i don't actually want to be here this isn't what i am wanting and it's like not too late to like pull out of that situation and i think also like sometimes looking back on it there's this one time recently where I'm like, I re- like I should have known. I like I really should have known. <laughs> like, like it's exact. Like I was like, oh, like he could possibly be like this. And like, and I got there, and he was like exactly like that. And I was like, well, I don't know why I was like, surprised. <laughs> but like I was sometimes- expecting something different. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, like if I just like wish it to be different enough, like maybe it will be. Yeah. But there are some times where I like, I like try something, whether it's like a date or a person or an experience. And it like, doesn't like, I don't like them as much as I like, I go on a second date because I like genuinely do like have some sort of connection and I want to see like, maybe it could go somewhere or I'm interested in trying some sort of like sexual act or some sort of kink. And it doesn't like land the way that I thought it would Mm -hmm. in all those situations. It like, doesn't mean that I've like done something wrong. Like that, like sometimes you can like do things and not enjoy them and do things and change your mind and do things and have them like, be uncomfortable and that doesn't mean that like you've done i've done something wrong it's just Mm -hmm. sort of like oh that's like more data for me to learn from and i think like i'm i'm glad that i still sometimes have these blooper moments because Mm -hmm. it means i'm like still exploring and experimenting and having a sense of adventure and along the way in doing that sometimes i'm gonna like bump up against my edges or against things that like don't feel greater about things that i don't enjoy um and like now i know now I just like know more about myself. Yeah. Um, and so I think like those, those booper moments can be actually really powerful and, and, and good in the long run. Yeah. They're super important learning moments. And, and I, I'm curious though, the, the first time you were sitting there going, Oh shit, I can leave. And I could really do like, this is really the moment. I'm just curious, like what was happening for you? Cause I could, I put myself in those shoes and I'd be like in the bathroom, like slapping myself in the face, like getting myself psyched up, like, <laughs> like Rocky before a fight or something. But I, I, I don't know. For me, the fr- so the very first time it was, um, like my, I was going to meet up with someone and my partner was like, Oh, I'm coming home. I'm going to pick up pizza on the way home. And I was like, Oh, like, should I like come home? And he's like, no, no, no. Like go have fun. And I was like, okay, great. So then I went and then it ends up like, just like not being fun. And partway through, I, I had this thought of like, I could be eating pizza with Peter right now. I would much <laughs> rather be eating pizza with Peter than hooking up with this person. <laughs> like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna leave. Um, but uh, there was a more recent time where I actually like did go to the bathroom. I was like, I, I got to this, to this person's house. It was like a luxury building in Chelsea. There was a doorman. Like they, I went up the elevator, like there was marble floors, like super fancy artwork. He was like about my age, but he was like six, three and blonde and like muscular. And we were like starting to hook up. And like, I was just, I was like, I don't know, like, like not feeling it. Like he was kind of weird. Like he was just sort of like in his head a little bit. And like, it was just sort of a very much like, comment let's fuck sort of like vibe and i was like I, i'm not 
feeling this. And so I was like, I'm going to go to the bathroom really quickly. And I went to the bathroom and like the bathroom tiles had heated floors <laughs> and there was like ASOP products on the counter. And I was like, oh, this person is like the pinnacle of like quote unquote success, right? Like he's like, hot in all the sort of like ways that Hollywood tells us are hot. He's like rich. He's got this like fancy place. And I'm just like not into it. <laughs> and so like that was a moment for me where I was like, wow, like these like trappings of like success and attractiveness and prestige actually aren't always all they're cracked up to be. And so I was like, I'm, I'm out. And so I went back and I was like, Hey, I'm going to head out. And he was like, okay. And I forget how it I forget how it happened. I think like maybe as I was like putting my clothes back on, he asked like what I do for work. And I was like, oh, I do like stuff around the intersections of like queerness and spirituality. And then we had this like whole 15 minute conversation about like him growing up religious and going to like a Catholic day school and like all the stuff and like coming out and his like family rejection. And I was like, oh, this is the person that I want to have sex with. <laughs> like, I actually don't care about your like fancy tile floors or your like six pack abs. Like now we're having a human connection, but it was kind of fleeting. And then like, he was back to like looking for his next hookup on Grindr before I even like, oh. the room. and I was just sort of like, it was this moment for me of like, Oh, that's like, I feel so much like it doesn't like the things that we like from the outside connote, like mm -hmm. having it all together are not actually what it is like to, <laughs> to have it all together on the inside. I was like, oh, I wouldn't trade places with this person right. like yeah. in, a, in a million years. And yeah. so that was also sort of like an, an aha moment for me of like, I think like so many people I think would like kill, would like, like would like die to be able to hook up with this person. And I was like, pass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You took us on a roller coaster ride, right? I thought you were going to stick around and, and uh, see it through, but then nope. I know. Like, <laughs> He was like uh, vaping. We were like, we were like having this moment. And then he's just like vaping and like on grind. And I was like, okay, dude, like live your life. Yeah, like, I, I'm out. I'm done. <laughs> I've got to go. I, I thought it almost got salvaged. I love it though. I, I know. I, I thought so too. Uh, yeah. I love it. I, it's such like, I don't know. I appreciate the way you always weave some type of learning experience into everything you do. And I think that's a powerful way to live. And so yeah. that was yeah. just, I thought I needed to say that. Yeah. And like, thank, thank you, you for, thank you for sharing everything that you did. And we know we could sit here and talk for like four more hours. Totally. But, <laughs> but we'll. Uh, we need to get on Grinder, and so <laughs> you need to get, get the hell out find of our apartment. Your next learning moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love it. But it's like, thank you. Thank you yeah. for, for everything and for the amazing work that you do. And uh, we hope that this is, and we know this is not the last time we'll have a conversation. Yeah, I, I can't wait to talk more. Yeah. Appreciate it. Well, have a wonderful day and we'll talk soon. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And we're back. Thank you so much, Brian, for coming on and having such an amazing conversation with us and for all of the wonderful work that you do. Thank you again. Yeah, thank you, Brian. Just to echo Emma for, again, coming on and for all the work you do. Please, again, go check out all of Brian's work at queertheology.com. Check out the community. Check out the podcast. Support the work and get yourself some support. Yes, please, please do. Links are in the show notes. Also, a few quick reminders. We have an upcoming virtual meet and greet coming up March 10th. That's a Friday. We will also be at Southwest Love Fest. That's a conference in Tucson, Arizona, April 14th to the 16th. And maybe without further ado, we'll just get out of here. Yeah, we'll make a short outro. A short outro. Lucky you. Lucky me? Why is it lucky for me? <laughs> the listener. Oh. Lucky I think, listener. I feel like they're probably feeling like they got shortchanged. I don't know. It's still a f this will be a few minutes when we finish. All right. You know what we can do? We'll just... I'm just going to cut over... 
to the ambience of all the construction noise. I, <laughs> I cut all the clips out, and I'm just... I'm, oh, I'm sure they're going to love I did a montage of, of construction sounds. <laughs> they're going to love that. Yeah. Anyway, we won't we won't torture you. Don't worry. Next week, we have an interview with Jill and Steven. This is a super fun one, and one that really hit home for both of us. Yeah, it's deep. Yeah, so... The, the, the short version is Jill is a death doula, and so there is a lot of living life to the fullest in that conversation. Yes. And I love it. And yeah. I'm super excited for it. Yes. So we will see you all in a week and have a wonderful week. Have a wonderful weekend. Stay warm, stay dry, stay happy. Bye everyone. Thanks for listening. <laughs>